Coming to you from Atlanta, this is Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Today, we're going to help you find your next great listen. This is your host, Russell, and today is August 28th, 2023. Albert Rutherford tells us, not knowing statistics can lead to a loss of money, time, and accurate information. What am I looking at? What do these numbers mean? Why? These are frequent thoughts of those who don't know much about statistics. I'm not a numbers person is not a good excuse to avoid learning the basics of this essential skill. Do you earn money? Do you shop at the supermarket? Do you vote? Do you read the news? Then learn to make decisions like the world leaders do. This is the chapter-by-chapter preview of Albert Rutherford's book, The Art of Statistical Thinking. Chapter 1. Definition and Basic Concepts 1. Sample versus Population An investor wishes to know the five-year average return from investing in the U.S. stock market. There are nearly 2,400 stocks as of August 2022 listed on the NYSE, New York Stock Exchange, and they must select a manageable number of stocks to form a portfolio of stocks. However, they don't need to calculate the average return of all 2,400 stocks. There are stocks not worth investing in, too low returns or too risky, our investor will need to select a set of stocks that suits their investment style. In this example, the collection of all stocks in the NYSE is called the population in statistical jargon, and a subset of all stocks is called a sample. Collecting the information from all the members of the population is too costly and time-consuming, and even unnecessary we can obtain a good indicator of average return by looking at a sample. The way we select the sample is critically important, and it depends largely on the purpose of the study or the aim of the statistical task at hand. Suppose the investor's aim is to achieve a steady return with relatively low risk by investing in big and stable companies. Then a good sample is the Dow Jones Index, which comprises the stocks of 30 prominent companies such as Boeing, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, and Procter & Gamble. If the investor's goal is to achieve a higher return with higher growth, albeit taking a higher risk, the NASDAQ 100 index is a good sample that mainly includes the top technology and IT stocks such as Amazon, Apple, eBay, and Google. By looking at the average returns of these indices, the investor can get a clear indication and impression of the performance of these stocks. Seasoned investors can select their own sample based on their aim and risk-return preference. The important point is that the sample should be a good representation of the target population. If the investor wants safe and steady investment returns, but their sample represents high-risk stocks, they may not effectively achieve the aim of their investment. Hence, the target population should be determined in consideration of the aim of the statistical study. 
A sample that is good for representation of the population can be obtained by pure random sampling. The members of the population are selected randomly with an equal chance. For example, in political polls, all eligible voters should be treated equally. In this situation, the most effective way of selecting an unbiased and representative sample is random sampling, where the members of the eligible voters are selected with equal chance with no preselection or exclusions. In a later chapter, we'll discuss an example of one of the most disastrous polling outcomes in history, which occurred due to a violation of this random sampling principle. 2. Descriptive Statistics Descriptive Statistics is a branch of statistics where the sample features are presented with a range of summary statistics and visualization methods. The summary statistics include the mean and median, which describe the center of the sample values, and the variance and standard deviation are the measures of the variability. Chapter 2. Inferential Statistics This chapter is dedicated to inferential statistics. While descriptive statistics are used for illustration mostly, inferential statistics is mainly used as an aid to decision-making. It's also at the center of the problems related to the misuse or abuse of the statistics we will see later. To understand the problems associated with modern statistics, it's essential to understand the elements and concepts of inferential statistics. The concepts and methods covered include random sampling and the sampling distribution of a statistic, hypothesis testing, confidence interval, and p-value. Further in-depth discussion and problems with inferential statistics are discussed in the next chapter. 1. Random Repeated Sampling and Sampling Distribution Modern statistical methods we use are based on the idea of repeated random sampling from the population. A sample is a small subset of the entire population, and the researcher can conceptually take a large number of samples of the same size repeatedly with replacement. Practically, however, repeated sampling can be costly and may not even be possible and the researchers often have a single realization of the sample. For the household example, the researcher can take the first sample with a thousand households, say S1, and the second sample of the same size, S2, and so on. The process continues to SM, where M is the number of repeated samples from the population. The process is illustrated in the above diagram. From each realization of S1 through SM, the researchers can calculate the sample statistics, such as the mean and standard deviation. Then, they would have M sets of these statistics, such as the sample mean, i.e., X bar 1 through X bar M. This collection of sample mean is called the sampling distribution of the sample mean, one can also have the sampling distribution of the standard deviation, if required, i.e., S1 through SM. If the population follows a normal distribution, the sampling distribution of the sample mean also follows a normal distribution. This sampling distribution 
supports the inferential statistics widely used in statistical research, as we shall see in the next subsections. Figure 7 represents the sampling distribution in the form of histograms of the sample mean, i.e., x bar 1 through x bar m, when the sample size n increases from 10 to 1,000 with m equals 5,000. The population is assumed to follow a normal distribution with zero mean and standard deviation of 1. That is, for example, when n equals 10, the sampling of 10 households is repeated 5,000 times to collect their incomes. When n equals 1,000, the sampling of 1,000 households is repeated 5,000 times. Each histogram plots the distribution of x bar 1 through x bar m and the respective sample size from 10 to 1,000 when m equals 5,000. The sampling distributions of the sample mean shrink around the population mean of zero as the... Chapter 3. Statistical Thinking In the last two chapters, we've reviewed the basic concepts of statistics and the methods of descriptive statistics and inferential statistics. In this chapter, we evaluate what decision-makers should consider and how they should control different elements of hypothesis testing for sound statistical thinking under uncertainty. We also discuss the problems associated with the contemporary methods of hypothesis testing used in practical applications and professional research. The problems include the researchers do not fully consider the statistical uncertainty related with type 1 and type 2 errors. They often ignore the effect size or the signal from the sample, and they set the decision threshold arbitrarily with no scientific or practical justifications. This is because the teaching of contemporary statistics does not take the issues above seriously for some unknown reason. The issues are not covered in detail in our textbooks or lectures of modern statistics. As we shall see later in this book, this has caused many problems in modern statistical research, such as replication crisis, data snooping bias, and publication bias. 1. Understanding Uncertainty One key to sound statistical thinking is to understand the degree of uncertainty involved in hypothesis testing. Like any other decision-making, statistical outcomes are uncertain, and the decisions are subject to possible errors. In many cases, the researcher must make a decision under uncertainty, but they often make a decision without fully assessing the degree of uncertainty and the consequences of errors. Since these errors are unavoidable in probability, statistical decisions should be made taking these errors and their consequences into consideration. For sound statistical thinking, the researchers should understand the degree of uncertainty, the chance of errors, and their consequences. Type 1 and Type 2 Errors there are two types of errors in hypothesis testing. Type 1 error is the rejection of the null hypothesis that is true, and Type 2 error is the failure to reject the alternative hypothesis that is false, as summarized in the table. The classical example is the verdict in the court of law 
where the defendant is assumed to be innocent until proven guilty. That is, H.O., the defendant is innocent, H1, the defendant is guilty. The type 1 error here is delivering a guilty verdict to an innocent person, and the type 2 error is a not guilty verdict to a defendant who is guilty. Let's take another real-world example, testing for pregnancy. A doctor assumes that a patient is not pregnant until tested otherwise. That is, H0, the patient is not pregnant. H1, the patient is pregnant. The type 1 error here is judging the patient to be pregnant when she is not. And the type 2 error is judging the patient not to be pregnant when she is pregnant. Although we do our best to prevent such errors, we know these errors are unavoidable. A court of law employs several lawyers and a jury and takes a long time for prudent discussions and deliberation, but we see that an error of judgment happens sometimes. Pregnancy tests have now become highly accurate, but still, there is a chance... Chapter 4. How is statistics applied in real life? In this chapter, we will see how statistical methods discussed in chapters 1 and 2 are applied to real-world problems using examples from different fields of social and natural sciences. Where appropriate, we'll consider two types of researchers. One is the null ritualist, who follows the null ritual as described in Chapter 3, and the other is a decision-maker following the Naaman-Pearson paradigm. Investment Decision Consider the investor who has an interest in investing in the NASDAQ 100, as discussed in Chapter 1. They found this investment for the last five years, to December 2021, had an average return of 2.02% per month, median equals 2.67%, with a standard deviation of 4.92%. Now, they consider an alternative by investing in Apple stocks, which had an average return of 3% per month, median equals 5.26%, with a standard deviation of 8.44%. While the Apple stock has a higher mean, or median, return, it has a larger variability. The standard deviation of the NASDAQ 100 is 4.92%, in comparison with that of Apple, which is 8.44%. This means the Apple returns vary a lot more around the mean than NASDAQ 100, as the histograms show. The investor can get a higher average profit from Apple, but it can be a riskier investment, with monthly returns sometimes lower than negative 20%. The investor can take a descriptive approach by using the ratio of the mean to the standard deviation, that is, S equals X bar divided by S, where S, called the Sharpe Ratio, can be interpreted as a standardized measure of return, i.e., the average return per unit of, in this case, risk. As the table shows, the value of S for NASDAQ 100 is 0.41, which means the average return of 0.41% per unit of risk, and the Apple is 0.36% per unit of risk. The difference is not substantial, 
So the choice depends on how the investor perceives the risk of each investment and its prospects. In inferential statistics, let's first follow the way of the null ritualist who wants to test whether the population mean from the two alternative investments are the same. The null and alternative hypotheses are written as H0, mu1 minus mu2 equals 0, H1, mu1 minus mu2 is not equal to 0. The test statistic is written as Z equals X bar 1 minus X bar 2 divided by the square root of S square 1 over N1 plus S2 square over N2, where X bar 1 and X bar 2 are the sample means from different investments, and S1 squared and S2 squared are their sample variances, and N1 and N2 are the sample sizes. This is an extended version of the Z statistics we presented in Chapter 2, but again, it can be interpreted as a single-to-noise ratio. The numerator is how much... Chapter 5. Misinterpretations of Statistics Statistics are widely being misinterpreted, misused, and abused. It is rampant in scientific studies, media reports, business decisions, and government policy making, and it is affecting our lives, justice, and jobs. It does not get better with big data. It may get worse. It's happening mostly unknowingly, but sometimes willfully, by the academics who have to publish their papers for success in their grant applications or promotion, by the journalists who need eye-catching articles, by the lawyers hoping to win their cases, and by the politicians who need to win the next election. The problem is so serious that the American Statistical Association, the world's largest community of statisticians, has recently issued two successive statements on this issue. The statement raises serious concerns about the distortion and damages that the widespread misinterpretation of statistics generates, also spelling out the principles for good statistical practice. Yet many practitioners of statistics, not to mention the lay people, do not understand the nature and extent of the problems and the good practice to follow. Their textbooks and lectures on statistics tell virtually nothing about the problem. This chapter is dedicated to the issue of the misinterpretation of statistics, covering the materials that our textbooks and lectures do not tell us. We hope to get down to the bottom of these problems, which can help us furnish sound statistical thinking and conduct good statistical practice. Illusion of Statistical Significance As discussed in Chapter 2, statistical decisions are often made based on statistical inference, or inferential statistics, where a null hypothesis, H0, is tested against an alternative hypothesis, H1. A null hypothesis is formulated on the value of a population parameter, such as the correlation coefficient, rho, that measures the degree of linear association between two variables. A correlation is a unit-free measure that lies between negative 1 and 1. 
a value closer to 1 or negative 1 means a positive or negative and strong relationship, while a zero value of correlation means no linear association. The decision to reject or not reject H0 is based on the value of Z statistic, which measures how much the sample correlation coefficient differs from the value of rho under H0. Readers are encouraged to refer to Chapter 2 for further details. Consider a simple case of statistical inference where H0 rho equals 0. H1 rho is not equal to 0, where rho is the population correlation coefficient. In this case, the Z statistic, again as a scaled signal-to-noise ratio as discussed in Chapter 3, is calculated as Z equals R square root of n minus 2 over square root of 1 minus r squared, where r is the sample correlation coefficient. The z-statistic measures the distance of r from rho equals 0, the value under h0, scaled by a factor that makes it approximately follow the standard normal distribution. If it is too big or too small... Introduction We make decisions every day. Some can change our lives and those of our loved ones. But it is not only the individuals who make decisions. Companies, courts of law, governments, and international organizations also make decisions, often on a large scale that can affect our jobs, the justice system, and everyday life in a positive or negative way. Such decisions usually are made under incomplete information and uncertainty. The decision-makers often make correct decisions that will benefit our society, but they make incorrect decisions, too. The cost of the latter can sometimes be devastating, starting from personal tragedies to changing the course of human history. But let's not run so far ahead. Suppose you're making an investment decision for your retirement. Investment funds report their average returns for the past five years. You read a media report about the recent growth of the real estate market, and you hear about overnight millionaires who have made big from investing in cryptocurrency. You also hear about those who lost their life savings because of wrong investments or scams. And there's always a catch in the fine print. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. This means you're facing uncertainty in your investment decisions, and you should learn how to make a well-informed decision under this circumstance. If you make a decision after you sampled a range of different funds, compared them with those of real estate markets, and studied the future prospect of the world economy, learned from the investment gurus such as Warren Buffett, and listened to your friends and advisors, then it's most likely that you've made an informed decision that will bring handsome payoff eventually. This is, in a way, statistical thinking. You sample the population and learn from it to make an informed decision. The more diverse and informative your sample's elements are, the more likely it is that you've made the right decision. This book will show you how to understand statistics as a layman and make informed decisions with the help of statistical thinking. The problem is that statistics can easily be manipulated and misinterpreted. If statistical findings were always presented and utilized in an honest and correct way, the results wouldn't always be as rosy. We often see distorted and misguided numbers and outcomes, 
even though that was not the intention of those who report statistics. This book is intended to help readers gain better understanding and decision-making skills, the kind that professional statisticians possess. In the first chapter, we'll review the definitions and basic concepts of statistics. As a book on statistics, it is inevitable to introduce mathematical details. However, these details will only be presented when necessary without providing the full theoretical background. Welcome to Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? I'm Russell, founder of Newton Media Group. Today is December 22nd, 2022. Albert Rutherford has co-written a book with Dr. J.H. Kim entitled The Art of Statistical Thinking. You may be thinking, I'm not a numbers person, so I don't need to worry about this essential skill. So the author asks, are you a person who earns money? Do you shop at the supermarket? Do you vote? Do you read the news? If you wish to not make uninformed, poor decisions, if you don't want to be manipulated by skewed charts and diagrams, and if you want to detect lies about the effectiveness of a product, then this book is a good place to start developing your thinking skills. Thanks for joining us today. This is the chapter-by-chapter preview of The Art of Statistical Thinking by Albert Rutherford and J.H. Kim, Ph.D. Chapter 1. Definition and Basic Concepts 1. Sample versus Population An investor wishes to know the five-year average return from investing in the U.S. stock market. There are nearly 2,400 stocks as of August 2022 listed on the NYSE, New York Stock Exchange, and they must select a manageable number of stocks to form a portfolio of stocks. However, they don't need to calculate the average return of all 2,400 stocks. There are stocks not worth investing in, too low returns or too risky. Our investor will need to select a set of stocks that suits their investment style. In this example, the collection of all stocks in the NYSE is called the population in statistical jargon, and a subset of all stocks is called a sample. Collecting the information from all the members of the population is too costly and time-consuming, and even unnecessary. We can obtain a good indicator of average return by looking at a sample. The way we select the sample is critically important, and it depends largely on the purpose of the study or the aim of the statistical task at hand. Suppose the investor's aim is to achieve a steady return with relatively low risk by investing in big and stable companies. Then a good sample is the Dow Jones Index, which comprises the stocks of 30 prominent companies such as Boeing, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, and Procter & Gamble. If the investor's goal is to achieve a higher return with higher growth, albeit taking a higher risk, the NASDAQ 100 index is a good sample that mainly includes the top technology and IT stocks such as Amazon, Apple, eBay, and Google. By looking at the average returns of these indices, the investor can get a clear indication and impression of the performance of these stocks. 
Seasoned investors can select their own sample based on their aim and risk-return preference. The important point is that the sample should be a good representation of the target population. If the investor wants safe and steady investment returns, but their sample represents high-risk stocks, they may not effectively achieve the aim of their investment. Hence, the target population should be determined in consideration of... Welcome to VoiceOver Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Today is Monday, the 19th of December, 2022. Regular listeners will know the name of Albert Rutherford. He has co-written a book with Dr. J.H. Kim entitled The Art of Statistical Thinking, which we present the preview for today. Thanks for joining us. An investor wishes to know the five-year average return from investing in the U.S. stock market. There are nearly 2,400 stocks as of August 2022 listed on the NYSE, New York Stock Exchange, and they must select a manageable number of stocks to form a portfolio of stocks. However, they don't need to calculate the average return of all 2,400 stocks. There are stocks not worth investing in, too low returns or too risky. Our investor will need to select a set of stocks that suits their investment style. In this example, the collection of all stocks in the NYSE is called the population in statistical jargon, and a subset of all stocks is called a sample. Collecting the information from all the members of the population is too costly and time-consuming, and even unnecessary. We can obtain a good indicator of average return by looking at a sample. The way we select the sample is critically important, and it depends largely on the purpose of the study or the aim of the statistical task at hand. Suppose the investor's aim is to achieve a steady return with relatively low risk by investing in big and stable companies. Then a good sample is the Dow Jones Index, which comprises the stocks of 30 prominent companies such as Boeing, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, and Procter & Gamble. If the investor's goal is to achieve a higher return with higher growth, albeit taking a higher risk, the NASDAQ 100 Index is a good sample that mainly includes the top technology and IT stocks such as Amazon, Apple, eBay, and Google. By looking at the average returns of these indices, the investor can get a clear indication and impression of the performance of these stocks. Seasoned investors can select their own sample based on their aim and risk-return preference. The important point is that the sample should be a good representation of the target population. If the investor wants safe and steady investment returns, but their sample represents high-risk stocks, they may not effectively achieve the aim of their investment. Hence, the target population should be determined in consideration of the aim of the statistical study. A sample that is good for representation of the population can be obtained by pure random sampling. The members of the population are selected randomly with an equal chance. For example, in political polls, all eligible voters should be treated equally. 
In this situation, the most effective way of selecting an unbiased and representative sample is random sampling, where the members of the eligible voters are selected with equal chance with no preselection or exclusions. In a later chapter, we'll discuss an example of one of the most disastrous polling outcomes in history, which occurred due to a violation of this random sampling principle. You've reached the end of another episode of Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Connect with us at newtonmg.com and don't forget to sign up for our author's newsletter to receive their free materials at albertrutherford.com. Join us next week for another audiobook preview of a new title from audible.com.